Good morning, New Life Mano 2. Uh, could one of you guys hit the lights back there? Thank you, guys. Uh, would you stand for the scripture reading? Uh, my name is Dan, and today we're reading out of Romans 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person sometimes... Uh, but though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Would you remain standing as we pray? Lord, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of our heart, be holy, pleasing, and acceptable to you as we talk about your peace and as we talk about your hope that comes through us uh, when we suffer. So, Lord, we praise you, we thank you for these words, we bless your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and everyone shouted, Amen! Amen. Well, you may be seated. Today, we are going to talk about the things that accompany salvation. We're going to talk about peace, that, that since we've been justified, we have peace, and we're also going to talk about hope that comes to us through suffering. A quick introduction, if you're new, uh, I'm Pastor Joe Kirkendall. I've lived here in Manitou 10 years. This is my wife here in the front. My, I have four boys. Uh, three of them are downstairs. One of them's getting held by uh, Grandpa. We call him Papa. Uh, that's little Theo there. But it's been a joy to pastor this congregation. We, I guess you could say, technically launched this service, meeting weekly, uh, just seven months ago. And New Life Church, of all the congregations, put together the video, video you saw before the Romans bumper video, and in it we were, I was just honored, like we were featured twice. Our pantry was pictured there, and some of you saw your picture, and then uh, we, uh, the, our men's group, I'm very proud of them, they built some steps and a little handrail for uh, a, a congregant who's here. Russell, raise your hand. Hey, Russell, we see you. Um, and it's, a, it's an honor to, to help. And it was just an honor. I was just kind of from the background watching this, our men's group saying, let's, let's get together and let's do this project. Uh, he's blind. He has a handrail. He needs the handrail. It's falling apart. He gets splinters. Let's fix it. So they fixed it. And then, and then New Life, uh, the, our, our, all our congregations put that video together. And it was a surprise to me when I saw the video. I was like, wow, cool. They, 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 it's just honoring. So, so well done, you guys. Well done as a congregation. Let's get into the book of Romans. If you brought your paper Bible, open up to Romans chapter 5. There we are. This is sort of a summit uh, in chapter 5 that Paul gets to. Uh, how many of you have uh, climbed a 14er? Anybody, any 14er people in here? Good. How many of you have done the incline? Oh, lots of you. Good. Okay. Uh, so when you're going up and up and up and getting tired, 
what's the point? Like you're going to get to the summit. Like that's where you're trying to go. And Paul, through chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, presents this argument for us. And in chapter 5, we can see, oh, here's kind of the, a summit. I mean, there's a long way to go after you reach the summit. You still got to go down. You still got to get home. You got to get there safely. Usually injuries happen on the way down. Still a long way, but the summit. So chapter 1, Paul talks about all of creation is in need of God. Chapter 2, don't judge any. He talks to us, like Christians, don't judge anyone else, even for a second, because we're all need in need of God's goodness. Chapter 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Chapter 4 was last week. We said that uh, Abraham was credited uh, as righteous because of his faith, and so too we can be credited as righteous if we have faith. And then chapter 5, a big therefore. And and we, we joke in the pastor's world, if you see a therefore, you should go and see what it is there for. It's a dumb joke, um, but a good one for preachers. So what is it there for? Well, Paul is taking on us on this journey. We're sinners. We need the Lord. We need his righteousness to be bestowed upon us. And therefore, this summit peak now, therefore, since we have arrived, since we've been given salvation, what do we get? Well, we have peace. So Paul, in this letter, talks about two things right in chapter 5, peace and hope that we get through suffering. It's kind of a, a coin that God gives us as we believe and have faith. Here is this coin. It's worth a lot. We receive it, and one side of it is peace, and the other side of it is hope, and it's hope when we suffer. It's hope through our suffering. We'll talk about that. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about peace. So the first point of this sermon is we have peace peace. Let me read it. Verse uh, 1, chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a funny story. So this week, um, I, I get to visit with people. I, I visited a young man who was very worried about his mom. His mom is in Florida. He is here in Colorado, and he hadn't heard from her. She was going through the hurricane. It was like a series of four, uh, I think four-ish days that he hadn't heard from her. Very worried, and so I went to visit him. He's uh, currently, uh, he's in prison. He's going through, has to do some time with some decisions he has made, and uh, we got to sit, sit down, and for an hour, we chit-chatted. I, I got a message from his mom, and so I was able to relay to him that his mom's doing okay. And, and he started telling me uh, about uh, going to court. He's got a court date coming up where he might get a sentence. Uh, he's been doing good, so he might get his sentence lowered or something. Just figure out some things for his court dates. And he uh, told me that the sheriff's office offered him an olive branch. And he was kind of upset about this. And I said, wait, they offered you an olive branch? Like what? Like I, I'm losing track of what you're telling me here. And he thought that an olive branch, if you don't know, an olive branch is good, right? Olive branch represents peace. He didn't know what that was. And so he thought the, the sheriff's office was offering him an olive. I, I was like, do you, did you think they were going to whoop you with the olive branch? <laughs> or what? It's just a weird conversation. And then we just had a good laugh because he realized, oh, that's a reference to peace. And it's actually a reference. So I, we pulled out the Bible and I showed him, oh, it's in the Old Testament in Genesis where Noah is on the ark and the waters recede and, and a bird goes out and gets an olive branch and brings it back and says, this is good news. The water is receding. There is going to be peace on the earth and it's become a symbol of peace for all ages. So now he knows that an olive branch is a good thing. The symbol of peace, peace is a good thing. Of course, the opposite of peace is 
war. Like we, we are at a, a place of war. In this passage, I think the, the context is a place of war within ourselves or a war within God or with God, uh, going through a dark night of the soul. Uh, I usually prepare this sermon for Sunday. So t- tomorrow morning, I'll, I'll start the sermon for next week. And so this last Monday, I woke up and started pre- preparing a sermon for today for what I'm saying right now. And I came up in my feed that uh, a very unfortunate incident happened in Manitou, and I still don't know all the details. Maybe some of you might know more, but Monday morning, it was found that someone had committed suicide in Manitou and on Ruxton, and I just thought, here's this passage about peace, and what this man must have been going through must have been like war to him. He must have been going through a dark night of the soul, and I just thought, man, if, if only the Lord, you know, if he would have trusted the Lord and received the Lord's peace, maybe a different outcome would have come, um, but I was just surrounded by the variety of like, this is real life stuff that when we need to have the peace of the Lord to be upon us. There's lots to complain about in, in this world that we live in. Um, I think of complaining about uh, first world problems, you know, think, think, thinking through like my week, I, I complained that my coffee, uh, my coffee's too hot, I complain. Or if I said, don't put onions on my sandwich, and there some onions are, I complain. And I had to ride with somebody and they didn't have air conditioning in their car. It was brutal, like a 20 minute drive, you could imagine, without air conditioning. And we complain about things, and I could complain about those things with a smile on my face because we all know that, that really, you know, when there's not peace in your life, there's a lot to complain about. I think if, if, if you were going, if some of you may have been in the South, uh, in Texas or in Florida, we had some people here last week that, that came here to escape the hurricane. That is this, that a hurricane brings us, us unrest. It brings, there is no peace in, in the midst of a hurricane and it brings destruction. And if you're in a hurricane, if, you're, if your home is in disarray and uh, not in peace, if, if you're in your home is a death of a loved one, or if your house you're going through a divorce or something horrible, you know that, you know, that's what you really want. You really desire and seek peace. You're not complaining about onions or coffee being too hot. You're wanting and seeking peace. Peace is of the utmost importance. Peace is what we're seeking. Peace with God. I think um, a lot of us, if, if we look at our lives there's something missing. And, and those of us before we were believers in Christ, I think I would look at my life and say something was just kind of missing until I really found God and really trusted him. Augustine puts it this way. The, the, he's a guy that lived in the 400s, a pretty famous Christian that wrote lots of books. Uh, and he said, the heart is restless until it rests in God. Another way to word that, you've probably heard of it, is that every one of us have inside of us a God-shaped hole in our heart. And only God can fill it. We could, we could try to put things in our heart, try to fill it with, with grabbing things and, and doing life. But really, our hearts are restless until we have God and that peace is upon us. Uh, let me tell you a story about that. So Years ago, I really liked the band U2. Anybody a U2 fan? Oh, a couple. I like U2. Good. Uh, I, I've been to a few concerts. Years and years ago, when I was in seminary, I, I went to a concert. Uh, some of us uh, went, drove up to Denver to watch a concert in the Pepsi Center. And um, we went out to eat before the concert. And we were just making chit-chat. And we said, oh, and the, some of the other shows of this same concert in other cities, Bono, the lead singer, 
brought somebody up on stage. And we were like, whoa, what if he brings us up on stage? And there's 30,000 people. The chances are pretty slim. And none of us got picked, by the way. Uh, but uh, we were like, yeah, that would be so cool. Because we were sitting in the front. The cheapest seats were like the front seats where there wasn't a seat. You were just all standing. But anyways, we were like, yeah, what if he brings us up? And we started talking about, yeah, what, what, what would you say? And he said, well, well, at other shows, you know, you get introduced. You introduce yourself. And then you kind of say, like, what's the most important thing in your life? You just kind of share that in front of 30,000 people. We're like, what would you do? What would you say if he brought you up on stage? And we were chit-chatting about that. And none of us really had a good answer. You're like, what would you say? We were all Christians. We thought, well, we would probably share something about how important faith is to us, how important uh, our relationship with God is. We, we would work that into, you know, whatever we said in front of 30,000 people. Uh, just... Um, and so we, we were kind of like, well, what would you really say? And they turned to me and said, like, Joe, you're going to seminary. What would you say? You know, like, well, don't you have anything to say? And I, my mind just kind of went blank. I was like, I don't know what I would say. And it bugged me. It, they bugged me, it teased me that I, I didn't have anything to say. And it bugged me. Like, yeah, what would I say? I was just kind of racking my mind. We went to the concert, and the question was still kind of bugging me. Like, what if Bono pulls me on stage? I didn't get pulled on stage, but what if he did? Um, and I don't even remember. Somebody got pulled on stage, and I, I can't remember what they said. But I was thinking, like, what if I get pulled on stage? And I had no idea what I would say until the concert was concluding and one of their songs, a pretty famous song from the 80s came on. It's the, it's the, the song. I still, if you heard, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And the, the lyrics, come on, you know what I was. Uh, you guys. The lyrics talk about this journey of someone's life. The lyrics say, I've climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the sea or to the sea. I have kissed honey lips. I've, he, Bono talks about, uh, sings about, that have had religious experiences and all these things uh, and all only to be with you. And then he goes into, uh, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And that was the last song they did that night. And uh, the band members, one by one, kind of walk away. And the crowd is left screaming at the top of their lungs, singing this chorus. 30,000 people in the Pepsi Center screaming and singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And then I thought, well, that, that's, that's what I would have talked about. That's, if I would have been brought on stage, our generation, our world, humanity, the human condition is such that we are all looking for something. We're out there. We're doing things. We're climbing mountains. We're going into the valleys of life, and we're trying to find something, but we would all say we still haven't found what we're looking for. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. I, I, I thought if I would have been brought on stage, which I wasn't, uh, but I would have thought, oh, well, here's this song about we still haven't found what we're looking for, but, but we, the, those of us who have found God and God has found us and we have this relationship, we have peace, that we have this feeling. We have found something. We have found peace if we let God in and let us, let him fill us from the inside. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. The next point, second uh, of three, is that we are to glory in our sufferings. Glory in suffering. So I'll read this passage here. Paul tells us that we should boast in the hope of glory of God. Not only so, but we should also glory in our sufferings. Think about, let that sink in next time you're, uh, that someone puts onions on your burger or you're riding in a car and it's hot and you don't have air conditioner uh, or those things that we suffer in this life. 
But this is much deeper than those, those superficial things. Let me start in verse 3 again. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We don't like suffering as humans. We, we definitely don't like, we're in a fast-paced American society. We don't like to wait even for the microwave. Two minutes is too long. It's like, why can't it be here now? We don't like to wait. We don't like to suffer. We don't want to delay uh, getting gratified in any shape or form. I think about the saying, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And there's, I mean, obviously, if you took that very literally, that's a bad saying. I saw a t-shirt that said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, except bears. They just kill you. And I thought, well, yeah, that, that saying has some truth about it. Like when you work out, there's suffering. And I think of someone uh, working out every morning and suffering through, you know, 99, 100, and the pain that goes with working out. But through long suffering and working out, well, you're, you're going to get stronger. That's just kind of how that works. If you're able to delay gratification, you're, you're going to end up stronger for it. There's, there's a couple in our church that I'll brag about uh, and honor them. I won't mention their names, but they're, right now they're five days into a seven-day fast, and they're, they're asking the Lord, Lord, what would you have for our family? They're thinking about children of their own or adopting and making a decision. We've been praying for them, and just they're suffering to go to fast for to be five days into a seven-day fast that's that's quite the suffering that's there's something to be said about the hope of glory that comes through suffering you know i think about people that i look up to and they're, they're often very patient people people that can undergo some amount of suffering not just physical suffering but some amount of suffering to get through like they're they're driven they're they're trained they they, they want to get to something and they're willing to do what it takes to get there let me tell you about an experiment that was done in the 60s and 70s. It's a cute experiment, uh, especially that I have kids about this age. So in the 60s and 70s, uh, there was this long experiment called the, the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. Anybody heard of this? It's, it's, I had to study it in, in psychology. If you take any psychology classes, you, you, this is one of the most famous uh, experiments, and it's cute. So they take kids, like as young as four years old, and they give them something, like a marshmallow. It, it wasn't always a marshmallow. It was just something that they wanted, like a little pretzel stick or a goldfish or chocolate or candy, something. And a lot of kids like marshmallows, so they used marshmallows a lot. So it became known as this marshmallow experiment that happened at Stanford University. And they give a kid one marshmallow, right? And the kid's like, cool. And the, the person says, I'm going to go away. And they went away for 15 minutes, which is just torture for these little kids, four years old. So you give them one marshmallow, so I'm going to go away, and they didn't tell them how long, but if I come back and you still have this marshmallow, I will give you another one. You'll have two marshmallows. And so they talked with the kid, they made sure the little kid understood what's going to happen, and, and then they went away. And some kids, like, they, they said, as soon as they said, you could eat this marshmallow now, or you could, oh, God, God, and then, <laughs> They just ate it immediately. And some kids were able, I don't know if I, we should do this experiment with our little boys. I don't, I, I, if they made it 15 minutes, well, then they came back in and they got a second marshmallow and then they got to eat it and they got their reward. Well, what's interesting about this experiment, because that just by itself is like, who cares about that? Just torturing little kids for 15 minutes. That sounds horrible. But what they did was they had two groups of kids, kids that were able to wait and kids that were not able to wait. 
And, and they always make a big point whenever this, this study is said. It's like, well, this, this study doesn't you know, like classify one kid. It's like, well, this kid, when he was four years old, he failed the marshmallow experiment, so he's going to amount to nothing. Like, that's not what this experiment says. This experiment is more about uh, correlations and statistics and just the numbers. But what they found was that later in life, those kids that were able to wait to suffer through the 15 minutes as a four-year-old or a five-year-old, those kids that were able to suffer to get the second marshmallow, they did better in life. You're like, well, what's that mean? Well, they, they had some, some markers. They, they got uh, statistically better SAT results. They, they got paid more at their jobs, whatever their jobs were. They had a better body mass index and a lower uh, th than the other kids, a, a lower percentage of, on the average, of obesity. And just these different, like, wow, that's kind of interesting. You could go look at this, uh, look at this uh, experiment, and there's YouTube videos of these poor little kids like waiting in turmoil for 15 minutes for the other marshmallow to arrive. But it says something about like, oh, the, these kids who knew how to suffer as four-year-olds to wait for something, well, that says something. It's, it's, it says something secularly about what Paul is saying here in the spiritual realm. Because that, I mean, the Stanford experiment, that's cute and interesting and all. But what about, you know, like real life? What about, um, I think the philosophy of our day as Americans is do whatever makes you happy. Like seek, you know, seek your dreams. Do whatever makes you happy. And I think that has really crept into our American society. And I want to take a second and just say that is very different than what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying to glory in our sufferings. That's like the opposite of just go do whatever makes you happy. Paul says, well, when you're going through suffering, Go through it. it, glory in it, because you know that suffering in this life is actually going to produce perseverance and per perseverance character and character hope. I think about that. The, the, I even think, even in the church, sometimes I will hear like, well, just go do whatever makes you happy. Uh, I'm thinking a couple months ago, there was a couple thinking about divorce and nothing big had happened in their marriage, but they just weren't happy. They were, yeah, we're just not happy. And I heard voice, them say, well, you know, so-and-so says that we should just get a divorce because we're just not happy. I think maybe God wants us to be happy, don't you think? And there's really struggling with this idea. And that's very different than what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, well, suffering is a, is a part of, you know, it's going to produce perseverance and character and character hope. I think about um, our society very, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a can of worms issue right now, but I think of someone who is born one gender and they're just not happy with that. Well, what does society say? Society says, well, well, you could, you know, if that doesn't make you happy, present yourself as, as another gender if that's what makes you happy because the happiness and the philosophy of happiness is the most important thing, which is different what Paul is saying here. I think about our, our society and if you're, if you're not happy with your possessions or with your, uh, where you are at in societal kind of ladders, well, get into debt, get into tons of credit card debt and buy a bunch of stuff to make yourself look richer than you are. That's just kind of, we don't, I don't know that anyone says that, but that's the feeling of what we have as Americans, that we should not do that. We should actually glory in our sufferings. Leading us into this last point, you know, I mentioned some things, and we could, if we were very proud and, and we would be doing the wrong thing, but we could check the box. Some of us could check boxes and say, well, I haven't gotten divorced. I haven't tried to change my gender. I haven't gone into tons of credit card debt. I haven't done this. I haven't stole anything to make myself look better. I haven't done those things. But 
don't for a second think that we are better than anyone else. Because Paul wraps these points. He says, you have peace and you're going to get hope through suffering. But then he says this. He reminds us all of the big picture. And the point here is this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we shouldn't for a second point at our society and, and say, oh, we're better than that. We're, we're you know, we, we can do this and we can, and, and no, no, no. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. I think there's a misconception uh, amongst uh, people looking inside the church and saying, oh, we need to clean up our life before we can come to church. We need to clean up our life before uh, I could say yes to God. And that's a misconception. This passage says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we submit to God, he will give us peace. We will have hope even through suffering. And we will be made right, a righteousness credited to us because of our faith. That's going back to Romans 4, 3, and 2, and 1. Like, we will have righteousness because of our faith. We will be made righteous. We don't have to clean up ourselves to come to church or to come to God. We have been justified through faith. And today we're going to, in a minute, we're going to kind of invite you to something and to before you and the Lord, like an invitation to say yes to him, an invitation to, to believe in him, an invitation to receive righteousness from him. Uh, we're gonna, we often say a prayer in unison at the end. We're going to do that today. Today it's going to be a, a, one of the versions of a sinner's prayer. What is a sinner's prayer? Well, a, a sinner's prayer is simply saying that we're a sinner, that we have fallen short of, before God, and we want God to come before us and to fill us with his righteousness and his holiness. So if you would, please, would you bow your head with me? Would you quiet your heart? for just a minute as we conclude this message. And God, we come before you and, and we thank you, Lord. Lord, that, that when we are in you, that when you credit to us as righteousness and justified by your son, Jesus, that we can receive gifts from you, the gift of peace and the gift of hope, even through suffering. But we pray this prayer. We're going to pray a prayer to you, Lord, confessing that we have sinned and asking you, Lord, to, to be our Savior. And Lord, for those of us that, that re-say this prayer, Lord, come upon us and cleanse us of, of our own sin and make us right before you, our Creator and our God. For some of us who, who might say this prayer in, in a different way today for the first time, Lord, come to us and show us that you are good. You are faithful. You, have, you are so good and you love humanity. So, Lord, we pray these things in your name. We love your presence, Lord. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray this prayer in unison. I'm going to say it together, not just as, as words to say, but if you believe these things, would you say them? It's the sinner's prayer. <coughs> Let's say it together. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask you for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and in my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen.